Romans chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for the obedience to the faith, to God alone be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray today that we would forget the messenger and that we would remember the message. We forget the preacher and that we would remember the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us, who gave himself for us. And Father, may truly he receive all glory and all praise for everything that is said and done in this service. And may Jesus Christ be the preeminent one today, we ask in his name. Amen. When I was a child, my parents attended two churches. Neither of them were ritualistic or, form, or followed any type of form of liturgy. But the first one, however, ended with a, a scriptural benediction or doxology and the same hymn each week. The, the doxology which was given at the end of each service was from Jude chapter 24. Now, in recent years, I've become fascinated with the various benedictions and doxologies that are mentioned in the writings of Paul and the other epistles of the New Testament. A benediction is where he beseeches God's favor upon God's people. The doxology is a hymn where he gives direct glory to God. And today we have a doxology that gives glory to God for some specific things here. For his power, for his plan, for his people. And today we'll look through this passage and see why God receives the glory... And we'll see the duration of that glory, that it lasts forever and ever and ever. Why do we give glory to God today? For first of all, for his excelling power. Look at the first six verses in this passage. Now to him who is what? Able. The old King James says to him who is of power. We see God's power throughout the scriptures. We notice it in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth Shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. And in the first chapter of this epistle of Romans, Paul writes, for, the, since the begin, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. We speak of an omnipotent, all-powerful God. A God who is able. A God whose ability is seen in his wonderful creation. We think of that hymn, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. His power is also seen in the miracles of the scriptures where he suspends the laws of nature. The God of the impossible. We see that in the parting of the Red Sea. We see that when Jesus fed the 5,000. We see that when he calmed the storm by his very voice. We read of the God of the impossible in two impossible pregnancies in Scripture. Abraham and Sarah, they were past childbearing age. And the, the angel came and told them that uh, they would bear a child, that Sarah would bear a child in her old age, and Sarah laughed at that. And when Sarah laughed at that, the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too hard 
for the Lord. The Lord is able to do the impossible. Think about when the angel appeared to the Virgin Mary and told her that she was going to have a child. She pondered over those things, and, and she couldn't figure it out. So the angel gave this explanation to her. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One, which will be born to you, shall be called the Son of God. And now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth, sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. In fact, his strength is most clearly seen in our weaknesses. Paul said that the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he concludes to the Romans with these words. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, uh, you look around you, you see not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble who are called. God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. Our all-powerful God whose strength is made known in our weakness. Consider these scriptures about the strength, about the power of God. God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? O Lord, in your strength the king will be glad, and in your salvation he will greatly rejoice. Again in the Psalms, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusts in him, and I am greatly helped. Therefore, with my, therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. And in this passage, we are told in our worship, where we describe worth to the Lord, we are to recognize his strength. Another psalm says, ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel. His strength is in the clouds. Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. And again in Psalm 27, wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The book of Habakkuk we read, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. And when the Apostle Paul was talking about the principalities and powers of this world, he prefaced that by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Billy Graham once said, as an evangelist, I've often felt too far spent to minister from the pulpit to men and women who have filled stadiums to hear a message from the Lord. Yet again and again, my weakness has vanished and my strength has been renewed. I've been filled with God's power, not only in my soul, but physically. On many occasions, God has become especially real and has sent his unseen angelic visitors to touch my body and to let me be his messenger for heaven, speaking as a dying man to dying men. And consider God's power in the message of Isaiah to the nation of Israel when he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, or speak, O Israel? 
My judgment is hid from the Lord, and my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary? There is no searching his understanding, or in other words, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. For even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Yes, we have a God who is exceeding in power, all-powerful, almighty, able to accomplish in us that which he purposes. But what does he purpose in this passage? So not only we see an excelling God, God who excels in power, but a God who establishes his people. Verse 25, once again, now to him who is able to what? Establish you. That word establish you is often translated as strengthen. And now we started this spiritual journey without strength, didn't we? For when we were without strength in due season, Christ died for the ungodly. No glory goes to us for our salvation. It is all the strength of the Lord. But this word um, establish has a deeper meaning. It could also mean to turn resolutely in a certain direction or to confirm or to establish, steadfastly set, or strengthen. Now, it infers a firm, established position, but it also uh, infers a firm and established direction in our lives. I think of the psalmist when he said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he climbed to me and heard my cry. He has also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to my God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. He took us from that miry clay and put us on a rock. I think of an old gospel hymn we used to sing that not many know anymore. It says, hallelujah, what a savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay and set him free. I will ever tell the story shouting, glory, 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 hallelujah. Jesus ransomed me. He took us from that miry clay, but he put us on a firm foundation. He placed our feet upon a rock and he established our goings. Now, I think of the opposite of that being Psalm 73. You know, King David was an almighty man used of God, a very godly man, but he did have his problems and he kind of fleshed them out in his Psalms at times, didn't he? One problem he had was he looked at all the wicked people of this world and you know what, you know what he thought? They seem to be doing pretty well. They don't have any problems. You know, why all the bother of worshiping the Lord? Why all the bother of following his commandments? The wicked people do quite well. Until he went into the house of the Lord. His mind was changed. His focus was redirected to God, taken off of this world and placed upon the almighty God that we talked about who is able. And when he worshiped God and focused on God's word, he realized that those wicked people were not on a firm foundation, but they were placed in slippery places. Well, because they were trusting in the wrong things. They were trusting in their own riches and not in the God of heaven. 
So they were not on a firm foundation as they seem to be. They might be ready for retirement, but they are not ready for eternity. So God takes us from the miry clay and sets us upon a rock and establishes our goings. When we think about established goings, I think of the uh, of juxtaposing. Do you like that word? Juxtaposing. What we were before we met God with what we are after God as detailed in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2 we read, And you, has he made, you have he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked a certain direction according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God steps in. God is rich in mercy. And because of his great love with, with which he loved us, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up, like we talked about in Psalm 40, and made us to be seated in heavenly places. Now, that's a firm foundation, isn't it? Being seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. That means following a certain course. We've been placed on a firm foundation, and therefore our goings have been established. And they've been established by the God who is able. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, speaking about the resurrection and the faith that we have in that, says because of the faith and the resurrection, we can be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, that sounds like a paradox to me. How can you be steadfast and unmovable and yet abounding? Well, first of all, the Lord establishes us, places us upon a firm foundation. Because our faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are firmly established, and from that point, we can move forth and serve God with the realization that our labor is not in vain in the Lord because we serve a risen Savior. Paul was steadfast and resolute in his faith when he said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So the Lord is able. We see his exceeding power. We see his established people. We see an all-powerful God who can establish us and make firm our foundation and establish our goings. But how does he do this? We saw, first of all, his exceeding power. We saw his, um, his established people. But now we see his excellent plan. He establishes us through the gospel. Now notice, the apostle Paul says in verse, we're still in verse uh, 25. We'll, we'll get to the last verse eventually. Uh, he says, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began but now made manifest. But notice he says according to whose gospel? 
according to my gospel. It is not because he is the author of that gospel, but because he is the owner of that gospel. It is not because he is the designer or the divisor of it, but because he is the possessor of that gospel. And you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, possess that gospel and have a message that we can give out to a lost and a dying world. It is a gospel which he was not ashamed in the first chapter when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is God's plan to establish us. He has the power to do so. William Barclay said it is a gospel which makes men and women able to stand firm. The gospel is a power which enables us to stand firm and upright against the shocks of this world. We used to sing an old hymn that's been forgotten. It said, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, as we read on in this passage, we'll find that out. According to my gospel and the preaching of who? Of whom, rather? Jesus Christ. It is, a gospel, it is not necessarily a gospel about the messages that Jesus preached, but it is a gospel of which Christ is the center in which he is the author, in which he is the um, subject. It is a preaching about Jesus Christ. In fact, it's what Paul said when he said to the Corinthians, we preach Christ. And in the, that passage he says, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, through the world, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seeked after wisdom. But we preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. I was taught in a high school, Christian school Bible class that Christ is the theme of the Bible and the redemption story through Christ. And I learned this outline. The Old Testament is his preparation, preparing us for his coming. In the Gospels, we see his manifestation he lived and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the book of Acts, we see his proclamation or propagation of the gospel message. We see in the epistles the explanation of the doctrines of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, we see the consummation of Jesus Christ. He is the theme of the Bible, and his redemption is what we'll be praising for him, him for throughout all of eternity. But notice one more thing, another thing about, rather, about this gospel. It is a mystery that has been revealed according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. 
It was written in the pages of the Old Testament scriptures and not easily understood. But now God's plan, which he devised from the foundation of the world, has been made plain. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we read an interesting passage about how the law was a shadow of things to come and not the very image of it. In other words, it's a grainy image and not a portrait, or if the scriptures had been written today, one Bible commentator believes they would say a photograph. The Old Testament was not like a photograph of Christ. It taught us about Christ through types and symbols and the very history of the Jewish people and through the sacrifices. And Hebrews 10 goes on to tell us that the sacrifices of bulls and of goats could never take away sin. But it talks about a Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ who took on the form of man, who came into this world and suffered and died and was that once for all sacrifice for mankind. And that message has been made clear and plain and spread throughout the whole world. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 3, Paul says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of what was passing away. Their minds were blinded, for until this day that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. It is a message that is still hidden to an unbelieving world because of the devil himself. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we read, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. But notice, there's also a message that has been made plain and made plain to the whole world, to all the nations, it says in verse 26. We remember when Jesus left this, before he left this world, he said to the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And before he ascended, he said, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world is a gospel that was hidden and has been made plain and is now made known to all nations. The verse ends with, according to the commandment of God for the obedience to faith. It is a message that is to be received by faith. This word obedience to faith is also mentioned in Romans the first chapter in verse 5 when he says, by whom we receive grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Faith is an important element in God's spiritual economy, isn't it? We read about Abraham, and we read that Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. In Romans 11, we read that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, the meaning of this to the obedience of the faith has been debated among many Bible scholars. Some say it could be the, oh, the faith that results in obedience. 
such as James says when he says faith without works is dead. It is also said that it could be obedience to the collective truth of God found in his word. Or it could be simply the obedience of faith without the article the. The obedience of faith. Bob Wilkin uh, comments defending the third point like this. The rendering for the obedience of faith is probably best because in the Greek text, the faith, the word faith lacks the definite article. For those who you don't know what that means, that means the word the. Uh, often in the Bible, you won't find the word the in the original language. And it's often used there to help us gain some understanding, to make it more fluid and to make sense. But sometimes it can be left out and the passage still makes sense. It is not in the original language. It says in the original language to the obedience of faith. Now let me continue with his explanation. It is biblically correct to speak of faith as an act of obedience. After all, God commands us to believe the gospel. Support for this view is seen in many passages. Acts 6-7 says many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Romans 10:16 and 2 Thessalonians 1:8 say speak of obeying or disobeying the gospel. That makes faith obedience to God. God establishes us through the gospel, which is the preaching of Jesus Christ. It was a mystery and now it is made known to the whole world and it is received by faith and for that we give God praise and we give him glory. Notice the last verse, verse 27. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. We give glory to God and that glory lasts forever. We saw an exceeding power. We saw an established people. We saw an excellent plan. And now we see an eternal praise, a praise that lasts forever. It is praise to the Lamb of God. But notice, we praise God for his wisdom. To God alone wise. In the 11th chapter of this epistle, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has given to him and it shall be repaid to him? In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3 and verse 19, we read, The Lord by wisdom founded the world. By understanding, he established the heavens. In Job, we read, with him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. And in Jude's doxology, we read, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And this is praise through Christ Jesus, the one who loved us and the one who gave himself for us, the one who washed us in his own blood from our sins. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's peer one, 
Let's take a moment and peer into the throne room of heaven in Romans chapter 5. You remember that passage there, mysterious passage about the scroll that no one could open except one person? And who was that? The Lord Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And then we see all heaven pouring forth praise to the Lamb of God. When we read towards the end of Revelation chapter 5, where it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb how long forever and ever I think of that old hymn that we used to sing. Oh, we still sing it. It says, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. You know what that last verse says? It says, and when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, it will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. In other words, for all eternity, we're going to be praising the lamb for sinners slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, who has redeemed us to God by his blood. That song will go on and on and on and on throughout all of eternity. Worthy is the lamb. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And we'll be carrying that story of an almighty, powerful God who exceeds in his power, who has established his people, who has provided that establishment through his excellent plan, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a mystery in the Old Testament. It has now been made known to all nations and we preach the plain and simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that, we are going to give God eternal praise. Praise for all of eternity. Now, what do we take away from that? What do we take home with us as we think of praising God for all of eternity? Well, first of all, don't lose faith in your God. He is a God who is able he is a God who is able to establish you. He has a purpose in your life. It was not, and it was a purpose from the foundation of this world that Jesus Christ would come and die from you and that the Spirit of God would woo you and draw you to himself and that you would be saved and throughout whatever happens through your, your lifetime, you would be conformed to the image of Christ. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For those he did, or those he foreknew, he did predestine to become conformed to the image of Christ. And he is able to do that. Don't lose faith in your God, no matter what the storms of life bring. You remember when Peter was on that boat, 
And the Lord came to him walking on the water. And Peter said something like this, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to walk out on the water to you. And with faith, you know, it ended up in a kind of a failure. Let's give Peter some credit here for the faith he first. He was the only one in the boat that we know of that said that. And he placed his faith and the Lord put his eyes steadfastly on the Lord Jesus Christ, stepped out of the boat and started walking on the water. But then what happened? He looked around him. He saw the winds and the waves and started to shout. And the Lord looked at him and said, Peter, why did you doubt? Now, I didn't just make that up in a moment. That came from a song that I knew. <laughs> a song that said, you can walk on the water, just take it one step at a time. But it's not you walking on the water. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you place your faith and trust in him. So don't lose faith no matter what happens in this life. We have a God who is able. Secondly, be thankful for redemption story about the Savior who can take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay, set him free. Always tell the story shouting, glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, Jesus, ransom me. That's the story that we're going to tell throughout all eternity. Let's practice it right now. Number three, let's give God the glory for his saving and for his keeping power. You know, if you keep God at the center of your story, you will realize that the surrounding storms he can take care of. Our problem is looking at the storms and not keeping ourselves our, our centered on the, our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the lyrics that song, Be Still My Soul, when it says, Be still my soul, the winds and waves still know the voice of him who ruled them while he dwelt below. That power that Jesus had in calming the storm, he still has today. So this glory that it's talked about, that we are going to give to Jesus Christ forever and ever, let's start practicing it now. Because when we keep our eyes focused on our God, we give him worship, we ascribe the worth to him that is due, and we realize that he is a God who will take care of us. He is a God that will keep us. There was a Christian psychiatrist who once said that the, the problem with most of the people who came into their office is that they had no center to their life. And if they only knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their center, the circumference would take care of itself. And as believers, we should always have the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of our life. And giving glory and giving honor and giving praise to him will help us to remember that he is the God who is able. 